Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Let's open up our Bibles, Luke chapter 18. If you join me there today, uh, we had a lot of testimonies this morning, and I'm grateful for each and every one. Uh, I want to say also at the outset, thank you to everyone who helps out. Yesterday, we had an outreach yesterday and also a, a cleanup crew. So for all of you who did that and helped out with that, it's a great blessing to have people who are faithful. Amen. Behind the scenes, we're so grateful for that. Luke chapter 18, as we look into the Word of God this morning, I want to share with you a message God put on my heart for this service. I want to believe God with you today. This, uh, this is a parable. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus spoke, a story uh, that illustrates some powerful truth in our lives. And it is possible that we've come here this morning. You know, people come to church for a thousand different reasons, and not all of them are good. Uh, but we... We hopefully have come here today because we want to hear from God. I mean, if you're here for another reason, I'm glad that you're here. But for other reasons, you know, we're we're going to get out of church what we put in. The reason I say that is because if you come in here just expecting to have a nice time, then you're probably just going to have a nice time. But if you come here with a heart knowing that God is able to change things, We serve a God of creation power. We serve a God who speaks life out of death. We serve a God who speaks out of nothing and creates everything. 
And so when God speaks, He is able to transform. If God would speak to you today, He could transform your life. And so uh, when we come into His presence, if we don't come with the right attitude or the right atmosphere, we can often miss out on what God has for us. This is a story uh, that Jesus tells of two men, two men who go to the same place. They are in the same environment. They have the same scriptures. And yet they both uh, go away from this encounter with two very different results. And so this is a message I've titled, How Will You Return Home? Because that is really the ultimate measure of why we come to church. Are we going to return home same way that we came? Or are we going to return home with a fresh sense of, uh, of purpose and destiny in the kingdom? Are we going to return home with our sins forgiven and set free? Or are we going to go back the same way that we came this morning? This is Luke chapter 18, the parable uh, that Jesus tells. Let's begin with verse 9, if you join me there. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy, a tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I pray, God, that in these few moments that we have, that you would capture the attention of every person here. God, we would find ourselves being able to be touched by you. The Holy Spirit bring conviction. God, find every strategy of hell that would be against this service today. Every lie that would speak in the back of people's minds. I pray you set people free by the blood of Jesus that we can walk out of this place justified. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. How will you return home today? From our scripture, there are only two possible options. Either justified or unjustified. Either we leave from this place having our sins washed away, having a new relationship with Jesus, or the same way that you came in. And so this is a very interesting contrast that Jesus presents us with. Two people. The reason that he tells the scripture, we see in verse 9, he says, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That is a very interesting audience. Because this is basically the world of self-reliance. You know, we teach our children as they're growing up, you need to be able to not rely on anybody else. Right? We, we don't want you to be dependent on other people. We want to train our children to have a, a skill and intelligence and an industry. And uh, this is why we send them off to school, because one day we are hoping that our children are going to be able to be self-reliant, not uh, living in the basement for 40 years. 
And yet, Jesus understands that there is a limit to that self-reliance. That it is not a good thing to be so self-reliant that you despise God, that you turn away from His power and His help. This is who He's speaking to this morning, is those who trust in themselves. Let's look, first of all, at this Pharisee. Let's examine his character for a second. First of all, verse 11, it says that he stood and prayed. When you study the the group in the New Testament that Jesus reserved his greatest rebukes for, like when you read the New Testament, Jesus was not harder on anybody else except for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This group of religious devoted people was, uh, was prominent. And he devotes this whole chapter to try to bring correction and rebuke against this group of Pharisees. So who are the Pharisees? The name of this group means the set-apart ones. The ones who are different from the rest. And the Pharisees began as a good intention. Their heart was to Uh, to separate themselves from other believers. Their heart was to be more devoted, to be closer to uh, the Lord. Uh, But very quickly, as they began to add regulations on top of God's uh, scriptures, that they began so caught up in the practice of the law that they forgot about the spirit of the law. So the law, speaking about the Old Testament, for example, the laws of Moses, That is supposed to be the schoolmaster. That is supposed to be the education that leads us to Jesus. Instead, the Pharisees became smug, overconfident. And they began to view that their own separation from the rest of the unwashed people, they're overconfident, they're proud, and they're reliant on their own activities. It's a good thing nobody is like that today. The idea is I'm justified because I'm segregated. That I'm not like all those nasty other people out there. In fact, this was his prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like this man. He is religious. He has a habit of going to the temple. He can say prayers. He has experience with all the rituals. He can do sacrifices. In fact, the Bible says about the hypocrites, the Pharisees, that they were so careful about their religious activities that if a little weed grew up on their front porch, that they would reach down on that little weed, they would break off a tenth of it, a little stem, and they would take it to the temple because they reasoned, if the Lord gave me this increase, then I should be tithing off of that. Right? And so they were so careful to obey even the strictest... Laws, you know, uh, the, the Pharisees, they were not lazy. They were not, uh, they were not uh, just sitting at home doing nothing. But in their zeal, they were so careful to obey the letter of the law that they forgot the spirit of the law. Verse 9, it says they trusted in themselves. So it's not that this man has no faith. He does have faith. But that faith is misdirected. He has faith in what he is doing. He has faith in his activities. He has faith in his convictions. He has faith in his separation from others, but his faith is not where it needs to be, in God. It's a good thing that there's nobody like that in our world today. 
It's a good thing that there's no uh, churches filled with a, a spirit of pride. It's a good thing that there's no churches that think that they're better than the rest of the world. This assurance of righteousness did not come from God, but came from His good works. Now, I'm not knocking good works. I think that good people should do good things. But what we're saying today is that good works don't save you. If you are saved, you should do some good works. But don't think that just because you do a good, few good things means that you've automatically got a right heart with God. This man's life was full of right works, but his heart was wicked. In fact, Jesus condemned the group of the Pharisees and he compared them to a whitewashed tombstone. How many of you have ever been to a cemetery? It's a very clean place, right? They, they cut the grass. They keep the tombstones nice and clean. Huh? You know, if it's a good one, they don't let the weeds pop up. They don't let the mold grow on the outside. What do they do? They come around, they scrape, they wash, they cut the grass, they make it look nice. And Jesus said, you Pharisees are a lot like a tombstone. You look nice on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. And that can describe people who are religious but lack the Spirit of God. That can describe people who come to church week in and week out, but don't know who the Lord is. Jesus said uh, that there will be many. Say the word many. many. Can you say it one more time? Many who will stand before Him one day, and they will say to Him, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these magnificent things in Your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from Me, for I never knew You. That is who He is describing. And we have to be so careful as people of God, as churchgoers, that we are keeping our hearts right. Because we can become those who say, Lord, Lord, but don't know Him. Having no relationship with Jesus. Religion alone cannot change you. Cannot make you a better person. But, how do we become better people? How do we become justified with the Lord? Mark twelve thirty three To love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Do you know what that means? Our religious activity and the, the things we do in the church are less important than our relationship with God and with His other people. The angriest words that ever came from the mouth of Jesus was directed at religious people. Can you catch that this morning? Don't hide behind religion this morning to find eternal life. He has the wrong view of justification. He has only His works. He has His own merit. Can I tell you, if all we can judge is I'm a good person, if all we can, uh, uh, if the only reason we can give, why would God let me go to heaven? Well, because I'm just a good guy. I'm, uh, in fact, I'm better than five of my other neighbors. Guess what? We are entering into the realm of the Pharisees. We say, if my sin isn't as bad as my neighbor's sin, my sin's surely not as bad as those. I, I look on the television, I'm better than those people. The truth is, how many know, that we all fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not one. 
There is none who understands, none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have become unprofitable. This Pharisee is judging himself based on his own activities in comparison to others, has deemed himself righteous. But Jesus said about him, he is unjustified. What about you this morning? The ultimate measure of his heart was the way that he looked at other people. Look at verse 9. He despised others. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like this poor, miserable scumbag. Thank you, Lord. You've made me a different breed. I am a new kind of person, Lord. I'm not like you, the smelly people down there. No, Lord, you've made me a, a, a different kind of person. See, a Pharisee never sees a need to help others, never sees a need to evangelize, never sees a need to waste effort or time on dirty sinners. Hey, I'm going to heaven! So why do I have to be concerned about others? John 13, 12. Jesus, the Bible says that when He's getting ready to go to the cross, you know who Jesus was? He was perfect. If there is a different kind of person, Jesus was it. Because He never sinned. But how did Jesus treat others? How did He treat people who didn't get it? How did he treat people who were even caught in the very act of adultery? He treated them with kindness. To the woman who had an issue of blood, we don't get it today in our context, but that woman would have been condemned from society because of her physical malady. They would have kicked her out of cities. She would not have been able to get married. She would have, she would have had a very rough time with life, but she has faith and touched the hem of his garment. And what does he do? He receives her. He validates her. He gives her a path forward in hope. And as Jesus is going to the cross in John chapter 13, the Bible says He removed His outer garment, taking on the form of a servant. And He washed the feet of His disciples. Can I tell you, Pharisees don't wash feet. Religious people don't have time for those kinds of things. Jesus, on the other hand, took His garments and sat down to them and said, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you say, Well, for so I am. But then your Lord and teacher, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. When's the last time you did something that required some humility? <laughs> See, the Pharisee doesn't have time to wash feet. He's too concerned about how he's going to look in front of other people. But what about you? Let's look at, then, the true believer. Now, the Bible says about this other man who's there, remember, they're in the same temple, they're in the same place, they've heard the same words, they've probably even given the same sacrifices. But the Bible says this other man of the parable is a tax collector. How many of you have nothing but fondness for IRS agents? Let me see your hand. (laughs) I, I, I hope that we, we love the IRS, but you know, the truth is that often whenever they come knocking on our door, you get a letter from them in the mail. It's just a sense of sheer agony and fear, right? So we don't like tax collectors today the same way they didn't like them back then. But especially in those times, tax collectors were seen as traitors. Why? Because the tax collectors were hired by the Roman government... They would hire the local Jewish people to go and snitch 
if they heard about one of their fellow Jews, their fellow brothers, that was making a few extra bucks on the side, they would go and snitch on them. So they were viewed as traitors in their own community. This is why uh, when the Bible talks about tax collectors, it's kind of identifying them as the bad guys. You know the good news about that? Jesus chose a tax collector to be one of his disciples. And when he chose him, man, if you've seen the chosen uh, uh, TV program, uh, man, they didn't like him at all. Matthew, yuck, why don't you go back uh, to, your, to, your, uh, to your job? They didn't want him there. And you wouldn't have wanted them there either. But here in the parable, Jesus uses the example of this tax collector, verse 13. A tax collector who stands afar off would not raise his eyes to heaven. What do we see? What do we learn about this man? His position in life, his history, his reputation uh, has preceded him. That he knows he's been rejected by the world. He's been rejected by family. He is seen as a traitor. He is seen as someone who's done a lot of evil things. And so, he has a sense of God's holiness. What he says, what Jesus says about this man is that he stands afar off. He says, I... Who am I? I don't have the right or the privilege to be up there with the most holy people. I'm broken and I'm lost. Lord, I can't even raise my eyes. He understands that there's something powerful about the presence and the power of God. That the temple ought to be a place where there's respect and honor. Can I tell you, when we come to the house of the Lord, it's not an exact parallel, the church service to the temple, we know that. But some people treat the church as, oh, it's just a party. It's not just a place for playing games and drinking coffee and socialization. It's here where God does business with us and where we do business with God. It's a place where you ought to feel some conviction. The tax collector, he walks into this place and, you know, on one side, the the Pharisee, he's feeling all proud and boasting. And, you know, the Bible says he stood up and he prayed. Why did he do that? He's putting on a show for other people so that others would hear his prayer. But this man, this tax collector, he says, no, I can't. I feel a sense of God's conviction. There's something powerful here. I'm not going to even lift my eyes. He senses the holiness of God. This is the attitude that can change your whole world. What is it that you bring to God? Did you ever think about that? What is it that you have to offer to God? Like he already has everything, doesn't he? He's got all the money. He's got all the time. He's got all the physical universe at his hands. So what do you have to offer? Well, I'm just, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I've, got some, I've got some talent. I've got some ability. I got, I got, and if we approach the kingdom of God like that, you'll get nothing from God. This man understands that his works are evil. This man understands that he doesn't deserve to be there. And in verse 13, his prayer is, God, be merciful to me, sinner if you ever want anything from god that's where it starts lord i don't deserve your grace i don't deserve your blessing i don't deserve anything all i need lord is mercy this is simon peter luke 5 verse 8 when simon peter saw what jesus did he said depart from me for i am a sinful man O lord Job 42, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah, a prophet of God, said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I wonder, how do you approach 
the things of God today? Do you approach God saying, look at all my good deeds. Look at all that I've done. God, you owe me a few things. Or can you still approach the throne of grace saying, I know who I am. I know, Lord, I don't deserve your grace. And yet, Lord, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? Because when you do that, the Bible says that is the beginning of a miracle. You'll never get a miracle from God as long as you approach Him with pride, looking down on people. Jesus says of these two men, they both walked away from that temple service. Only one of them walked down to His house justified. I want you to think about this word justified as we close. The word justified, if you break it down, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. To be justified is a statement of how God sees you. We all come into this world bearing the weight and the shame of the curse of sin, yes? Then we all choose at some point to sin against God. We know to do right and then we don't do it. Or we know not to do wrong, and we do it anyway. That's called sin. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God's glory, and as a result of that, the wages of our sin is what? Death. That's what we deserve. And so if we're going to be seen differently by God, we need to be justified. Let me ask you, what can you do to justify your sins before the Lord? You pay more taxes, is God going to think better of you? If you, uh, if you visit every church in Virginia Beach, is that going to get you past all the sins you've done? If you feed the hungry and uh, you clothe the poor, is that going to make up for all the evil you've done? Doing good things is good, but it's not enough. It's not enough to change God's opinion of who you are. If you're going to be just as if you'd never sinned, justified, the only way that happens is through repentance. The only way is if you come to the point in your life where you're willing to say, I know I'm wrong. God, I know I don't deserve your mercy, but I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. This is what it says in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a whole bunch of doctrine in one little sentence. Having been justified by, not the things we do, but by faith. We have peace with God. Justified, it means that when God looks at you, He no longer sees all of the things that you've done wrong. He sees you as if you'd never sinned. And that's why you can have peace with God as His child, living in His house, just as if you'd never sinned. That's a good place to say amen, Pastor. James chapter 4, verse 6 says that God gives more grace. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 28.13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. The final line of this parable is very instructive. Jesus says, 
that the, the, the man who beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that he, when he got up from that temple service and he went down to his house, he was justified. But the man whose life was full of religious activities, the man who broke off the little twig of the weed to pay the tithe, the man who uh, did so many righteous activities, he went down to his home, and guess what? He was still in the eyes of God viewed as a sinner, deserving of God's condemnation and wrath. What a waste of time! He's fasting twice a week. He's giving tithes of all that he possesses. It's a waste because he's unjustified. Listen to how Jesus closes this, and we're going to close tonight, or this morning. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. I don't know if you've ever been humbled before. Not, not, uh, not exactly a comfortable situation. When God humbles you, ouch, that hurts. I don't want anybody to experience that because it is painful. When God has to humble you, that is, a, that is a statement of force. But how does he say? He says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I just want you to catch this. There's two different people there. The ones that God has to humble versus the ones who humble themselves. The end result is the same. Everybody in the end will be humble. God is on his throne. There is nobody bigger than God. You, don't, you will never even try to compare to His power. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, even that enemy of old, Satan himself, he will be humbled. But we have a choice this morning. Our choice is either to exalt ourselves and force God's hand to humble us, or... What you can do today, you can humble yourself. Lord, before you have to humble me, I'm going to make up my own mind. I know I'm not right with you. And I'm going to make myself humble in your eyes. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to run away from them. I'm going to choose to live differently because, Lord, I want to be justified in your eyes. So, which one are you this morning? How will you return home today? Will you return home trusting in all of your good activities and unjustified? Or will you humble yourself and find the favor, the mercy, and the miracle of God here at this altar? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.